Always awesome to celebrate new life and to hear the story of how God is at work in somebody's life. Thank you for joining us today on this holiday weekend. It's great to have you here. We are starting a new series today. It is called The Moral of the Story. I've picked five of the famous stories of Jesus. Uh, there's at least 36 of them, but we're going to just spend time in five of them as we look at the main point of the story. Today we're looking at a story about playing for keeps. How many of you have heard of that expression, playing for keeps? All right, you know where that comes from? Marbles, that's correct. That expression, playing for keeps, started in the 1800s. And you used to be able to play marbles. You could choose whether you're playing for fun or playing for keeps. If you're playing for fun, you play the game, and then you get all your marbles back after the game is over. If you're playing for keeps, you might lose the marbles or you might be gaining a lot of marbles. Some of you know which way I went. But anyway, um, <clears throat> actually, I've never played marbles. My dad was really into it, talked about it a number of times, but I don't even know how the game really works. But the phrase now means that we're really taking this thing seriously. Like the, There are long-term consequences or rewards based on whatever it is that we're looking at right now. So this thing that we're doing, it's playing for keeps. And we're going to be looking at a story that talks about that. Now, I've been rewriting the little titles to these stories so that when we go into the story, you won't go, oh, I know this one. Right? I want us to enter into these stories of Jesus with fresh ears, almost like to see the surprise of Jesus' story on, on veil itself as we go. So I won't do like I usually do where I say, here's the focus. And then, oh, I know what, I know what story we're in. No, we're going to go to the moral of the story at the end. We go, oh, wow, yes. Let's see if it works. Okay. <laughs> now, let's just jump right into the story. Let the surprise be a surprise again if you are too familiar with the story, you're going to have to really work at that. Luke chapter 16. We're going to jump into this story. And why I picked this story to begin? Well, it's very stark. It's very alarming. It's very abrupt. It is, it is really one of those stories that you're either going to love or hate, but it's a powerful story of Jesus. He said, there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple. Now, why that detail? Okay, you got this in your brain? Splendidly clothed in purple. Purple was one of the most expensive cloths in Jesus' day. Only royalty generally wore purple because the cloth was so expensive. Now you got this guy that's so wealthy, he buys king's clothes, really. I mean, he's into purple, and he's wearing purple. So he's setting the, the stage for this story, and everybody in that culture is picturing, whoa, this guy's really wealthy. Splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus. Now, this is interesting to me because he didn't name the rich man, but he names the poor man. Okay? And as the story un unrolls and we kind of see the rest of the story, we're, we're kind of glad he didn't name the rich man. But he names the poor man. Now, I find it interesting that he picked Lazarus because that's a very common name in Jesus' day. In fact, there's another story about Lazarus as a true story. This is just a story Jesus tells. There's another true story in John chapter 11. And Lazarus means God is my helper. Now, keep that in mind because the story's ironic at the beginning. It doesn't seem like Lazarus, his name really is working much, okay? 
At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Now, some of you go, aw, and some of you go, ugh, right? I mean, depending on your view of dogs, you know, it's like, aw, those dogs are so nice, is some of your reaction, because you live in our culture, and your family dog is man's best friend, you just love that dog, and that poor dog is thinking of you when that dog is licking you, and you, oh, the only medical attention that anybody has given this guy is a nice dog, sorry, this is not what Jesus is saying, okay? In Jesus' day, Dogs are not man's best friend. In that culture, you need to think like that culture. Put it this way. If you read and use a computer to help you, every instance of dog in the Bible, you're not going to find positive references to dogs. Okay? Because in that culture, there's no fences. There's no leashes. They don't treat dogs like pets. They treat them like pests because they come in packs and they're scavenging through the towns and they're eating all the garbage and eating your food and they're, they're just a nuisance in that day. And so here's this guy that's laid there at the corner of the gate to, and he, what does it say? It says, longing for scraps from the rich man's table. And their dogs are there too. Okay, so let's get the picture here. When we eat, if we're eating some of the kinds of foods with our hands that they would be eating in that day, we would want a napkin. Wealthy people didn't use napkins. They would use bread and take off a scrap of the bread after they'd eaten the bread, wipe off their hands with the bread, even their face with a fresh piece of bread, and then scraps would be thrown off the table along with the rest of the scraps. When the meal is over, servants would sweep up all the scraps and throw it to the dogs. And so you have the guy that's longing to eat the scraps from the rich man's table, and now you don't go, oh, those dogs, they're so nice. No, he has to fight the dogs for the scraps, and he's losing, okay? It's not a very pretty scene. As Lazarus lay there, longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. All right, so there's the scene. Let's stop there for a moment because every one of us, as we're listening to the scene, we come with our cultural filters to interpret what's going on. They did also. So let's talk about their cultural filters a little bit. When you hear about a wealthy man, they're automatically thinking this wealthy man is a blessed man because that's how they think. The Jewish community they have their heroes of the faith, Abraham and Moses and others. They were blessed by God, and by the end of their life, they're blessed with wealth. They're blessed by God. And so that's how they view wealth. Wealth is a blessing. And they viewed poverty as, well, not so much of a blessing. It's like, oh, poor guy. I mean, you do the best you can with him. Here you go. And so this story, in a sense, works with the listener's filters. You bring to the story what you're thinking while the story is being told. You might think, wow, where is this going with this story? Now, in our day and age, we're not much different. The only difference might be we, we think of wealthy people as blessed, but we may not necessarily associate it with blessed by God. We might associate it with blessed because they're lucky, blessed because, man, they're blessed by a, a ability to work hard and earn a 
a lot or blessed because they knew the right person at the right time and got a lucky break or blessed because they had this great idea that just made bundles. They can't even spend all the money. It's like, man, if I could be so blessed, that's how we look at it. They're living a plush life. That's a blessed life and that's how we look at it too. And Jesus understands that about their culture and he understands that about our culture as we listen to it with our filters. We think of them as the winners in life. They did too. And we think of the street corner beggar as the losers in life. Hopefully, you're a little bit more generous in your judgment of them, but this story is beating me up the more I spend time on it. It really is beating me up. It's like, all right, so in my brain, I don't even know the person. And I'm thinking, I can't give them money. Because if I give them money, the very thing they want, it's going to be the worst thing they can get. Because then they'll use the money in all these ways that got them in the place to begin with. And I'm thinking, all those thoughts, maybe you do too. And judgments, right? Because they are there for some reason. And we're thinking all those things. So we come to this story with all of our filters, just like they did. Jesus continues. Finally, the poor man died and was carried away by angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died, well, this is a quick story, and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead. There in torment, now there's a surprise, the blessed guy is tormented, and the loser in life was carried away to be with Abraham. There's the surprise. And there in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus. The rich guy does at his side. And the rich man shouted, Father, Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to... Now, let me pause this story right here. Because it strikes me that the rich guy knew the loser in life's name. He knew his circumstance. He knew his name. He's as shocked at the circumstances as we are as listeners. And he's in torment. He's saying, hey, he's still treating Lazarus like the loser. Come on, send Lazarus to help me. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. This is a horrible story. And as people are listening to this story, they're just aghast that the person that they respect, living the plush life, the blessed life, the one that they want to be like, is in torment. The one they think is the loser is in bliss. Unless you feel like your life's not going well, then you kind of like the story because there's hope, Right? So I don't know if you like this story or not. I don't know if it's encouraging to you or not. But we need to learn what Jesus is saying because it's alarming, it's shocking, it's something we need to get a hold of. We keep reading the story or listening to Jesus as if we're there. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. 
And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross over to us from there. So this great chasm, I mean, as you're listening to the story, you're thinking, they must be really shouting, Abraham! Right? Great chasm. We can't get across this chasm. All right. Now, what I want to do here at this point before we continue the story is just to identify a common misunderstanding about what happens in the life hereafter. Before I go there, I want us to just nod our heads to the fact that isn't it odd, isn't it strange that in the masses of humanity, in every society, it seems like everybody's asking the question at some point, they might come to differing conclusions, but everybody asks the question at some point, what's going to happen to me after I die? Everybody has that question. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes that God has placed, imprinted, embedded into our hearts the concept of eternity. That we all think about eternity. Now we come to different conclusions. Some people just discard that as just fanciful thinking, but we all process and think, what's going to happen after my life? So some of us in processing think, There's a line over there, and I'm hoping that I'm good enough to cross over the line after my death and live with God forever. I hope that I'm good enough that when I cross the line, I'll be with God forever because only those who are good enough can live with God forever. And others of us or the same people are thinking there's another line way over there somewhere that if you're bad enough you will actually cross over this other line. And if you're bad enough, then you cross that line and you're separated from God forever in torment. And the surprise of this story is the guy we thought was the good guy ends up in the bad forever because he's bad enough. Whoa, surprise there. And we're thinking the guy who we thought was a loser was somehow good enough to cross the line over here. And we wonder, how did he make it across over here? And that's how we think. And then we wonder, where am I in this continuum? Am I good enough? I'm certainly not bad enough to go over there. And we think of ourselves somewhere in here trying to figure out, I want to make sure that I'm good enough. Folks, I don't know how to put this other than to just simply state it. I have been seriously studying the scriptures from the time that I entered into college. I mean, vocationally studying, like intensely studying, to understand and unravel each meaning of every book and to study each book and each part and all the themes and all the theology. And I've been studying for 40 years. Those two lines do not exist that way in Scripture anywhere. There is no such thing as a line that you cross if you're good enough. Here's how it works. Heaven is perfect. God's holiness is pure and unblemished. And none of us are good enough to cross the line on our own. We cannot be good enough to cross the line and enter into eternity and the goodness and the holiness and the purity of God to live with the glory of God forever. Here's the other thing that's not taught anywhere in Scripture. There's not a no man's land that somehow you can cross from there to here after you die. 
or from there to here after you die. Scripture is very clear. Once you die, you face judgment, and then that judgment is for keeps. Okay? Nowhere do I read. No, what I hear Jesus say is there's a fixed chasm. Once you're facing the for keeps judgment, there's no way to change your status. How many of you hate this story now? Right? It's like, this is ugly. I do not like this. But we need to understand this. The rich guy, the rich guy thought he was good enough. And he was a winner in life. And when you think that way, and you think, I'm good, I'm righteous, I go to the temple, I worship, I'm all right, that guy's the dregs. He's the loser. He probably deserves to be there. And when he deserves to be there, I have no compassion for him. What if we all thought of every one of us, none of us are good enough, that we desperately need a way to cross that line? That is the story of humanity. And God, from the beginning with Abraham, provided a way for those of us who are not good enough to enter into a covenant with God who is holy, who makes a way for our sins to be atoned for and get in on the merits of our faith response to his love to save us. Point number one. It's not about now. Our whole life Our whole culture is pumping and pressing and prodding and commercials and life and everything. Our jobs is obsessing us to think that it's all about me and it's all about now. I need to make the most of my life because I only have a few more years left. I got to accumulate. I got to become a winner. And the rest of this story says, no, it is not all about now. Now is the time to be thinking about forever. Point number two, it's about forever. All of life now is to position us in a place where we no longer look at ourselves as getting good enough to somehow earn and cross the line, but we respond to what God has done to allow the glory of God to wash over us, and we respond by faith. So in one sentence, here's what we conclude with from Jesus' story. The trusting beggar's soul went to be honored next to Abraham, the father of faith, forever. He didn't think of himself as good enough. He had nothing to offer God. His life was pitiful. Now, this should be hope for all of us no matter how pitiful we feel about our circumstances right now. Because no matter how pitiful we feel about our circumstances right now, if we turn to God and trust and we love God and we turn to him, we can walk with him and cross the line. All tears gone, all messes disappeared, all forever, tearless, joyful, celebration, hurrah, forever is a hope that we have as long as we still have a a breath. Turn to God who gives you that opportunity. Don't do what the other guy did. I'm good. God's got to let me in. I mean, look at me. I bring sacrifices to the temple. I worship all the time. I give to the religious system. I'm all right. <laughs> A lot better than that guy. That 
thinking that thinks you're stepping good enough in, the Bible calls filthy rags. It disqualifies and more than disqualifies because of the arrogance of the idea that you can be good enough before the holiness of God. And this gap does not exist. There is one line in the sand, and that's Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ says, come, follow me. To put it together with more words, God loves people, not puppets. He gives us the freedom to live without him if we choose. Or we can love him for loving us. He first loved us so that we should respond with love back. He, but he lets us choose. If we refuse to respond with love back, he lets us choose that. If we choose to live without him in this life, we choose to live without him after this life. Now we could stop the parable right here, but Jesus isn't done yet. It gets worse. <laughs> then the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. And we think, oh, such a loving brother. In hell? Are you kidding me? That's not love. He's going, please, I'm going to live with them here forever, and they know that they're here because of me. They were following in my tracks. They want to be just like me. I convinced them to do it this way, and it's looking really good, and they're following in my tracks. Stop them before I'm in torment forever with my brothers, and I cause them to be with me. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. Here's the implication. They can read what they wrote just like you. He read what they wrote. It didn't help him. He read, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But somehow that didn't seem like it applied to you. And we keep reading Jesus. He says, the rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Now, <laughs> the story hits home. I'm fascinated by the fact that Jesus knows precisely what he's going to do in just a few short days and months. He's going to go to the cross voluntarily, take our sins upon himself, take our sins away to its punishment, to its grave, to its death. He's going to conquer sin and death, rise from the dead, and he will return to prove that he is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. And you can follow him right in. And then everyone believes? No. Only those who trusted in the word to begin with are preconditioned to go, whoa, the prophets are true. Whoa, what the Bible said is real. Whoa, history proves it. Everybody else, they say, my kingdom is good. My life is great. I'm all about me. I'm all about now because this is truly life. And Jesus says, if you think 
That's life. Here you go. Forever. But Jesus, I have come to give life and give it to the full. If you see me as life, then here I am. And we get what we choose now, forever. The moral of the story, in Jesus' own words, from a different place, this is the best way we could put one line on it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? If you put the whole good news of Jesus in one sentence, John did it this way in John 3.16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God loved all the Lazaruses and that rich man who thought he was so great and on his way to earn his way into heaven was a Lazarus who's a poor beggar. There's no way good enough to get into heaven, but God loved the Lazaruses, all of us, so much, he sent his own son, Jesus. And if we have a heart that's predisposed to look into the words of God and see that love, his love that comes to us first, we will love him back. And that's called faith. It's trust. I trust Jesus because you gave your life for me. If you're willing to do that for me, I'm following you. And if you follow Jesus, it's Jesus who is the line. And Jesus says, come with me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We're going to finish with this story, not story, prayer. Look at this prayer. Please read it silently now. I challenge you, if your heart is opening up, to stand with us and pray it out loud in a moment. God was playing for keeps when he sent his son, Jesus Christ. He entered into a world of darkness, gambled his whole son, knowing that he would win, sent his son into the world to play for keeps. Jesus was playing for keeps when he went to the cross, knowing that he could save every single one of us because he loves us that much. And as he plays for keeps for each one of us, it only comes together when we recognize what he's done. God has made his move. It's our move. Let's stand together. If this is a time for you to pray this prayer and cross over the line, pray it. If you're not sure about Jesus, I would urge you to look into the words of Jesus, to continue to look into the words of the Bible, continue to seek out truth. Jesus says, if you seek, you will find me. If you knock and ask, It'll be given to you. Some point in time, if you're open and honest, the truth will open up to you. That love will be so real, and you say, you're right, 
I am not good enough. I want in. Would you pray this with me? Dear Lord Jesus, I confess that far too often I am living for me and living for now without any thought about eternity. Thank you for telling us the shocking truth that we are playing for keeps. Thank you for doing more than merely warn us. Lord Jesus, you were playing for keeps too when you willingly went to the cross for us. I believe and I am yours for keeps. I want to live with you and for you today and forever. Amen.